Hope Church. Um, we're in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, so again, a special welcome to each of you and just uh, looking forward to continuing to worship the Lord and to learn um, from our Savior and King today. Uh, so Matthew chapter 4 is, uh, we need to go back to last week at the end of chapter 3, where uh, John, the baptize, John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River, um, teaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. And then Jesus comes and John uh, baptizes uh, Jesus, uh, beginning the public ministry of Jesus. And then it says, you know, right after that, in chapter 4, verse 1, we'll just pick up there and read the first 11 verses. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone." And Jesus said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth and for your love. In our lives, please uh, give us greater understanding of your word this morning and help us to um, apply the truth of your word to our lives, dear God. God, we thank you for the privilege that we have um, to know you, to worship you, to learn from you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us Uh, day by day, uh, to become more like you, dear Jesus, um, and to follow in your ways. And we ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Okay, Um, when we get to this passage of scripture, there's a few things that stand out right at the beginning um, in the first two verses that, you know, kind of makes us go, whoa, wow. Um, you know, what's, what's going on here exactly. The first, it says in verse 1, that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, it seems like an odd phrase. Like, why would the Spirit of God lead Jesus, you know, as we believe him to be the Son of God, the second of the person of the Trinity, like, why would the Spirit of God lead him, lead Jesus into the desert for the purpose of, of being tempted. Like, why? Okay, so um, we actually have good answers for this. Um, in the book of Hebrews, I'm going to make a shameless plug for our house fellowships that we are going through the book of Hebrews. Uh, and so here's a, a couple of things that um, he, Hebrews tells us. One, it tells us that he had to be made like us in every respect. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 
Say, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation that's full payment for the sins of the people. For, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So that's number one, and, and this kind of carries in, the, part of this thought carries in uh, to the second point of he had to be able to sympathize with us yet to maintain his own perfection. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16 tell us, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we, as the, the scriptures tell us, we believe that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man, that he put on, you know, the Son of God, you know, put on human flesh to come and live among us. It was also important for him to experience the things that we experience, and he actually experiences them, you know, at a level that is, you know, beyond the normal human experience. So that no human can go to Jesus and say, well, you don't know what it's like to be tempted like I've been tempted. You know, the question back would be, you know, well, have you been led out into the desert to fast for 40 days and to be tempted by the devil himself? You know, that's, you know, at a level that, that no other human can, you know, say I've been tempted to the same level that Jesus has been. It is important um, that he does that even to a, a greater degree than the normal human experience. And he is able to sympathize with us in our weakness because he knows what it is, for one, to be hungry, to have desire, to have want, to satisfy that basic human need. Now, oftentimes, another question comes up in verse 2, um, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, you know, he became hungry. Okay, and people say, well, 40 days and 40 nights, you know, that's just not possible. You know, they just kind of want to write it off as one of those, like, that's not, a, that's not plausible. That's not a believable story. You know, that's one reason I don't believe the scriptures is because nobody can go 40 days, 40 nights without food. Um, well, actually, um, we have human experience that says, yes, that is um, possible. Um, you know, in terms of our human flesh, you know, a lot of that de- depends on a person's uh, body condition going into the situation. Um, it depends on metabolism, uh, you know, there's a, how much water that's available to them, um, you know, many other factors. We're not told here that Jesus went without water. And that would be outside of the human, you know, condition. Um, you know, we, we need water much more than we need food. Um, so it's interesting here. Now think about this. At the age of 74... Um, I'm going to read this quotation from Alan Lieberson, a medical doctor um, who has done a lot of work in this area. But he says, at the age of 74 and already slight of build, Mahatma Gandhi, the famous nonviolent campaigner campaigner for India's independence, survived 21 days of total starvation while only allowing himself sips of water. Um, 
1997 article in the British Medical Journal, Michael Peel, a senior medical examiner at the Medical Foundation for the Care of Victims of Torture, cites well-documented studies reporting survivals of other hunger strikes for 28, 36, 38, and 40 days. Um, but we also have another interesting um, point of history. In 1981, there were 10 Irish uh, prisoners who went on a hunger strike you know, in protest of you know, British um, involvement in, in Ireland, uh, controlling that area. And they died of their hunger strikes, ranging from 46 to 73 days without food. And so, humanly speaking, what Jesus did is within the range of what humans are capable of doing. At this point, you know, Jesus is about 30 years old, and he's probably, you know, that's like about prime peak, you know, physical condition in terms of, you know, endurance, um, you know, and those uh, sorts of things. So, it's very well within, um, you know, the, the, what is possible uh, at least for some humans, to be able to do. Um, and so that's even without tapping in to his divinity at all. Uh, that's just strictly in his humanity, which we think is what is happening here. You know, he's engaging this situation, not using his divine power. Because using his divine power, it's nothing. You know, there's times Jesus uses his divine power, like when he walks on water. You know, a regular human can't walk on water. And so there are times where he taps into his divine power, but we don't see that here in the desert in this temptation because he needs to experience to the nth degree what it is to be human, what it is to be tempted by sin. He needs to know what it is to be vulnerable. Um, And so here we have this is we see that Jesus does this for our benefit. So that when we are tempted, so that when we are in our times of, of weakness, we are able, able to boldly approach the throne of, throne of grace because we know we have a high priest, a great high priest, Jesus, who can sympathize with our weakness. So he does it for us. That's why the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness. That's why he went into the wilderness. He did it for us, for his love for us. And so that we can be able to stand in our times of temptation. Now let's look at the temptations that Jesus um, received. So it says in verse 3, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. Now there's a couple things going on here. One, there's a challenge of identity. Who are you? You know, who are you? Who are you really? Um, you know, I think we see that also back in the Garden of, of Eden. Uh, you know, part of that conversation that the tempter has with, with Eve and Adam, you know, we know he's right there. He's not some way distant, you know, scene. He's just being passive as he's standing there um, in the conversation between, you know, Eve and the, and the serpent. Um. We see the same sort of, of question of identity, you know, kind of like a who are you really? Has God really said to you? You know, these sorts of, of things. And, um, you know, even that human desire, you know, she sees the fruit as good to eat. You know, that, that hey, this is something that I think is going to be good for me. 
and then believing the lie about in what ways it's going to benefit her. And Adam is taking all that in for himself and, and agreeing through his passiveness, really. Um, but here we have Jesus being tempted about who, his identity as the Son of God. Prove that you are the Son of God. Do so in such a fashion that doesn't leave doubt. Turn these stones you know, to bread. Also satisfying his human need, his human desire, that he is hungry. And how does Jesus respond? Well, Jesus responds by quoting the scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, this is you know, what the scripture teaches us. Um, and so, we need to understand in this temptation about priorities that the spiritual needs that we have are far greater than our physical needs. This is what you know, Jesus is, is teaching us through how he handles this temptation. That your spiritual needs are your greatest priorities. You know, your greatest priority is to worship you know, God and to be in communion with him and to be in fellowship with him and to be sustained by him and his word. And you need that far more than you need bread. You know, and bread is used here because that's just like this basic you know, human thing that most everybody in the world you know, enjoys on a regular you know, basis, some form of... Of bread, it's just like this. It's you know, you're just kind of going using that, that kind of baseline deal. You're just something you need, but really, with with so many of our temptations, um, you know, they they follow this sort of line for us. Um, it's not necessarily bread, but it's the the lie is you need X more than you need. The word of God. You need X more than you need the word of God is the, is the temptation that we constantly face in our world. And we know the scripture tells us that, you know, Satan is the, the prince and power of the air and he is the God of, you know, this age. And so this whole system, our whole world system is designed to constantly tempt us. That we need so many other things more than we need the Word of God. You know, you need food more than you need the Word of God. You need sex more than you need the Word of God. You need money more than you need the Word of God. You need a good job more than you need the Word of God. You need anything and everything more than you need the Word of God. That's the temptation. And so in our present age... And the enemy uses busyness so much of the time as that, temp- as that temptation. You have all these other things, so you're too busy for the Word of God. You don't have time for the Word of, of God. You don't have time for your quiet time with the Lord this day. And the temptation there is always, you know, you can do it tomorrow. Or you can do it the next day. But steadily making us weaker 
by taking away what we need most of all, which is the word of God. Um, taking away that daily sustenance that we need that can only come from God. And so, you know, many times we are walking around in a weakened state, you know, unprepared for the other attacks of the enemy and also unprepared to be the servants of God that we should be in ministering to other people because we are not satisfied in the word of God in our daily lives. And we're, you know, it's, it's kind of hard for famished people to help other, other people to eat because then we're concerned about our, our own you know, needs more. And so we end up going through based on what I need as opposed to what does my neighbor need. I think that's one of the biggest problems when we lose our focus on the consistency in the word of God is that then we lose our focus on what the others around us need versus what, what we need and what we want. Now, to this temptation, I have often succumbed and failed. So I know the temptation well. Um, and so this is where we have to recognize that the throne of grace to find mercy and to find grace to help in times of need is available to us. You know, the solution isn't, I mean, there is conviction. If this resonates, there is conviction um, that should come through to, to each of our hearts and, and minds as is appropriate you know, in your situation, in my situation. Um, but the answer isn't just to, you know, kind of wash around in, in guilt, you know, for a long period of time. It's to recognize, wait, I do need the truth. I do need the word of God. I do need my time with, I need time with God individually and collectively more than I need the other things of life. And therefore, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to repent about that and agree with the scripture and follow, follow through. You know, and the follow through is, you know, and I'm going to follow through today. And I'm going to follow through tomorrow. You know, and, and that is the effectiveness of the, the challenge that we have here in the scripture and the challenge that, that Jesus, through how he handles the temptation, um, you know, through how he t- handles the temptation, he's teaching us how to handle that temptation. Now, we receive that temptation on a much lower level than he received it, but we still receive it. And the, the, you know, and the interesting thing is, he passed, we often fail. You know, and we have to recognize that as, as reality. So the big question for us the morning, this morning with temptation number one is, what do you need more than anything else? Um, and, and we also have to remember the words that Jesus said when he said, I am the bread of life. So I think we can summarize this morning with the truth and the acknowledgement, we need Jesus more than we need anything else. You know, and is that a true statement? Are we willing to look at everything else in our lives and, I, and say, I need Jesus more than? I need Jesus more than my spouse. I need Jesus more than my children. I need Jesus more than my job. I need Jesus more than my academic career. I need Jesus more than my entertainment. I need Jesus more than I need food. I need Jesus more than I need anything. Now, the issue that we have 
is, you know, we're, we're not congruent. We're, we're inconsistent. Because, you know, if we're followers of Jesus, we know that's what we, sh- we should agree to that, right? We should agree to those, to that principle that Jesus is the name above all names, that he's the highest, that he's the ultimate in our, in our lives. I mean, that's basically what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is that you are acknowledging that he is the savior and king, that he is everything, right? So, you know, in, in, our, in our walk with Jesus, though, we often acknowledge that with our, with our lips. We intellectually agree with the facts of the matter. But practically in the rub of life, when we have the pressure, and temptation always comes with a pressure to make a different choice. So when we're faced with the temptation and the pressure to make a different choice, we often find ourselves denying our Savior and King. And we do so by saying something else is more important than something else or someone else is more important than he is. You know, and that's a difficult acknowledgement, you know, that we have to make in our own hearts and minds. And we need to go to the Lord for that and say, Lord, you know my weakness. You know that I believe you are, yet I have a very difficult time following through with that belief in reality. You know, I know I do, and I don't think that we're probably all that different. I mean, that's just, I mean, just telling you how it is. Like, I believe that to be true. Practically speaking, I often deny that to be true. Practically speaking. And so may God help me and may God help us to be more consistent in our acknowledgement that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So now what's the next temptation uh, that we're given? Uh, Let's read back verses 5 through 7. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So let's look at that. Um, you know, temptation. What is what does that temptation have to do with? I think again, it's a temptation of, you know, of, of identity. I think really the even more so of identity than the first one. I think the one beforehand is more of priorities. So you got priorities. You have identity here. Um, you know that that and and even um, you know the the temptation of you know have, hasn't God promised you? You know, hasn't God promised you? And it's very interesting that the the enemy here uses uh, the scriptures in that attack. Psalm ninety one um, eleven through twelve is what is being quoted here, minus one phrase. So there's a missing a phrase here. Um, so he says he will command his angels concerning you. And then he skips the phrase, to guard you in all your ways. And continues, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And so, you know, I I think, again, in that identity issue, 
Um, if we look at Malachi um, chapter 3, verse 1, um, if you want to turn to that, you don't have to or have it on your, your app. My, um, Matthew 3, verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, what's interesting in John chapter, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 3, we had the messenger, John the Baptist, preparing the way for Jesus. It was kind of like, aren't you going to go ahead and fulfill this now? Aren't you going to go ahead and fulfill this now and come into your temple? Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. I mean, that's the picture you have here of, you know, the, the people, you know, we think the, the Jewish people at this time, um, you know, we're looking for the Messiah to come and to suddenly appear in his temple. You know, where else would the Messiah show up, right? But in his temple. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, come and do this, show who you are. But in the process, something is going to be avoided. If Jesus does this now, you know, and, and you know, flashes before the people and the angels are all there... And he, you know, takes what is his. There's at what cost? Because if Jesus does this, then then you don't end up having a, the cross. You know, we we kind of miss the purpose of his first coming, and we go straight to the second coming without the cross. And again, it's for our benefit. <clears throat> this is where I, what I think we we really have to get our minds around, our hearts around, is that, yes, Jesus could have done this. He could have fulfilled right then, you know, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and shown all his glory in the temple, had all his angels, all his power there. He could have very easily freed the Israelites from, you know, their Roman oppression and set up his, you know, set up his kingdom and his government. But at what cost? And it's for the love for all the nations. It's the love for us. It's for the salvation that he provides to all of us that Jesus, Jesus does not do this. But he is willing to suffer and endure this temptation and he's willing to suffer all the way to the cross. And I think for me, that's what's so troubling when I fail um, with the temptations that I'm given in life. Because I see the sacrifice and I understand fully why Jesus did what he did. And that's what, you know, that's oftentimes what stings is that, you know, we know better. You know, and, and when you're a parent even, you know, with your children, the ones that hurt the worst are not the, um, you know, the moments of mistakes you know, you know, mistakes happen, you know, bowls get broken, plates get shattered, you know, things get broken, whatever, you know, those sort of things. We do that sort of stuff in our lives, you know, too. And it's not, you know, things that are not intentional. We just make a mess of some stuff. Right. Uh, But then there's even there and there even sins like in the in the moment where it's just like there's there's just the reaction. Right. But then there's the sins where, you know, with your children, you look at like, you know better. You know, how, how many times have we gone through this? Have we talked about this? Like, 
we know better. And sometimes, you know, as the children of God, you know, don't we feel like God has every right to say to us, you know better. You know, how many times have we failed the same temptation in the past? You know, and, and yet our God is so patient, so long-suffering, so, such kindness, um, you know, to us. And so hopefully this morning we're inspired by how Jesus handles these temptations and um, we learn from it so that we can as well use these temptations. And so Jesus quotes the scripture back to him and says, you know, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You know, not to tempt you. And, um, you know, not to put the Lord your God to the test. And so we use scripture because we know that the enemy is going to use the scripture, misinterpreted or misapplied, you know, to our situation and to our lives. You know, really, if you want to think about it, the whole prosperity gospel is, uh, is, the, is following that temptation of the, you know, misappropriation of scripture, the misuse of scripture. You know, it's like, hey, look, you know, Solomon was the wealthiest man in the world. Hello, for you, why not? Right? I mean, that's, why, not just, why not that be a, a great goal in your life is just to strive for more and more and more. I mean, look how wealthy Solomon was. Doesn't God want you to be happy like this? Doesn't God talk about your joy? You know, and, and using the scripture. Well, how do we answer back, you know, to, to that? Well, Jesus told us, seek first the kingdom of God. You know, it, it, Jesus taught us to be, to be generous, you know, to all and not to, you know, hoard our treasures here on, on the earth. And so we, we use the scripture to fight the scripture, you know, to fight the misuse of scripture is what Jesus does here. Because that scripture is being misused, misapplied. And Jesus handles it properly. You never once see Jesus abuse the power that he has. We need to remember that Jesus, we see Jesus in the scriptures, um, he is not weak in terms of his capabilities to do what he wants to do in any situation. He is not so weak that he could not remove himself from the cross at any point, you know, call his armies down or not, and just say, done with this. I mean, you know, I mean, consider at the cross, Jesus could have come off that cross and gone, okay, enough of this, new world, new creation, whole new people or whatever I want to, other thing I want to make. At any point, he could do that. That's this power. He never abuses his power. He is, he is meek. That's the restrained, you know, proper use of his power. That's what meekness is. He's restrained. And so here he restrains and doesn't do this. So now we have the third temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, verse 8. 
and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So, this is a a temptation about the kingdoms of, again, you can have this here, you can have this now. He doesn't have to wait for the proper timing of the Father. But he can just take he can just take the nations, but then it's about his rule and not about our salvation. And it's also the mistiming of things. We understand that as well. That that's I think one of the the temptations. It's you know it, sometimes it's the wrong thing at the wrong time. You know sometimes it's just the wrong thing. Sometimes it's the right thing but the wrong way. The wrong way or the wrong time. And that's also a problem for us. It's also a problem for us. There's so many things, you know, that we are even given as gifts of God. I mean, the whole, how God made us to be sexual beings. You know, it's a good thing. But God also put parameters on that and said in, in certain ways and in certain times, you know, this is good for you. But it's not a, hey, just anything goes whenever you want, whoever you want, whatever you want, as the enemy would tell us. Hey, it's a good thing, and it makes you feel good, and it makes you happy, and why not now, and why not with whoever, and not, why not whatever, and, and, you know, this is, how, this is what the enemy is always doing is he's, he's taking what's good and what's from God and distorting it and, and twisting it and using the lies and, and using the, the goodness of God and twisting it against the people. And so we have to recognize this. We know that all the kings of the world will be the Lord's. You know, we know the scripture tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess you know, Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of the Father. Like, we know that that is going to happen. But this wasn't the time for that to happen. Because Jesus still had a mission. He still had to train his disciples so that they could build his church. He still had to go to the cross. You know, he still had to teach. He hasn't um, actually taught yet exactly how he wants us to live which he's going to get to in the chapters 5 through 7. You know, he hasn't gotten to that part, part yet. So it's not the time. It's not the time. And it's not, it's not the right time, and it's not the right way. Because Jesus' Jesus's kingdom comes through sacrifice, through suffering, through the cross. And it comes in a way that doesn't just benefit him but benefits all who will call on his name. If Jesus was all about himself, he would have you know, said yes to any of these or all of these. But he's not. He, he came, you know, his, his purpose um, was to be a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And to give his life as a ransom was his purpose. His purpose is others-centered. And so, you know, we can learn from that and we take from that. We say, okay, if Jesus is my Savior, if Jesus is my King, if He's our Savior, He's our King, and He is focused on the good of others, then how do I follow His example? Like, practically speaking, you know, how do I follow His, follow his example, you know, even today? If he is reaching out, if he is seeking those to help, how can I follow that example? You know, and, and I think we, we, each of us, even, even those of us who, who strive to follow Jesus, I think we go through periods of times in our lives where we kind of tend to lose focus on that, and the focus comes back on us and you know, our, our plans and our dreams and what we want as opposed to what God has for us. Because in, you know, in his humanity, Jesus has submitted himself to the will of the Father. And each of these things were obviously not the will of the Father for him at this time and, and in these ways. And so he rejects them and says no to them. We have to acknowledge that to say yes to Jesus means to say no to other things. To say yes to Jesus means to say no to our flesh. It means to say no to many things that are in this world. It means to have our priorities forever you know, altered by him. To say yes to Jesus means that. And we need to you know, under, understand that. We remember that, that Jesus wants us to obey him and to follow him and to obey his commands. And he tells us you know, that his ways are not burdensome. Well, you know, what's one of the lies? Another one of the lies that the enemy gives us. You know, following God is just too hard. I think what we're going to see, especially in chapters, you know, five through seven, that those, that, that whole section is, is very, you know, misunderstood, I think, and, and misinterpreted, mis- misapplied um, in such a way it just says, uh, you know, all of this is just too hard. Forget about it. But Jesus does have a way that he wants us to live and to navigate this world. He has a way that he wants us to live, you know, in it. Um, And he has shown us, even in this extreme example, to the nth degree, that saying no to temptation is possible. You know, scripture t- tells us that no temptation has overcome you except what is common to man. And that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But with the temptation will make a way of escape. You know, if anyone had an excuse, especially think back to that first temptation. 40 days without food. If anybody had an excuse to give into the temptation and say, it was too much to bear. It was Jesus. But he stood strong. He used the Word of God as an example for us that you know, God's always going to make a way to avoid the temptation. We can never say, you know, well, I had to sin. I had no other option. I just had to sin. You know, but with the temptation, He's going to make a way to escape. We have to be alert 
and say, there is a way out here. And then we have to have the courage, the boldness to take it. Even when it's uncomfortable. Say, I'm going to get out of this. And here's how. Because the Lord's made an open door for me to escape it. You know, think back to to Joseph. um, In not Joseph, you know, the earthly father of Jesus, but Joseph, um, you know, the the the, uh, son of of Jacob in the sold by his brothers into slavery and into Egypt, and he's in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife consistently is tempting him, come sleep with me. And one day when they're alone, you know, grabs his cloak and he says, you know, I cannot dishonor your husband and I cannot dishonor God. And he shakes himself free, leaves his coat behind and escapes. Now, it, it cost him. He ended up, you know, she ended up accusing him, you know, of trying to, to rape her because, you know, she was angry at that point. He ended up spending many years unjustly in a prison because of this. So that's also what we have to understand. Like sometimes avoiding temptation... Um, avoiding doing what is wrong, especially when someone more powerful than you in this in this world system wants you to do something that's wrong, might cost you, and it might cost you dearly. But again, it's an issue of priorities and, and what is right in the sight of God, and understanding the big picture. And I think this is what is helpful for us if we can step back for a minute and go. Our lives here are short, and God has a way he wants us to live. And God says that we are to love him above everything else, above all things, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Okay? So that's my foundation. And there's going to be attacks all the time and temptations coming against me, loving God with all that I am and loving my neighbor as myself. But it's a short time that I need to withstand. That I need to stand firm and I need to hold firm for a short time. And even if, I, if that means my whole life, it's still a short time. But many of these, of these things of crisis and the results of it, of the temptation, you know, it's just like, sometimes it's just like, man, hang in there for five more minutes and that temptation will be gone. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of walk in the other direction and that temptation will be gone. Sometimes it's a matter of just pushing the power button on the remote and that temptation will be gone. Sometimes, you know, that, that it's, sometimes it's a matter of quoting one scripture verse and that temptation will be gone. It'll be dealt with. And so we can stand, you know, in those times of temptation. so much easier to stand if we're walking closely with Jesus day by day. I mean, I don't have a scientific study on this. I don't think we need one. I don't think we need to spend a bunch of money on research, on you know, ability to withstand temptation based on time spent with God every day. I, 
I'm just going to go ahead and say we don't need a study for that. We could just go ahead. You could do one if you want. Maybe somebody could, maybe somebody could do one. That's fine. But helpful data. Helpful data, but sure. Why not? Why not, right? But I think we all know intuitively when I am close to the Lord, I withstand temptation much better than when I am not close to the Lord. I mean, that's, we can be firm in our understanding of that. And so this, this week, you know, as we come and we take the, that bread and that cup right now, and, you know, we, before we do so, we confess our sins and we say, Lord, even this week, these are temptations that I succumb to. That I succumb to. And purify my heart and purify my mind. And help me to walk to you and help me to withstand the temptations that come today and tomorrow. And help me to, to withstand that first temptation, which is to put you further down the list than that priority place that you deserve. You know, and it's, and it's interesting that with these temptations... You know, they, there's nothing that the devil could throw at Jesus that Jesus didn't already have. You know, it's like the temple, you go to, you know, your house, okay. Um, the food, well, he's, all the food is God's. Um, you know, the kingdoms, ultimately, they're all going to be his. You know, so, so again, I, I keep going back to sometimes the temptation is not, it's like, yes, yeah, sometimes it's blatantly just a sin. We know it's a sin. But sometimes it's not a sin. Something that in a proper context it's perfectly good. But it's just not what God has for you right now. And we have to have that discernment to know the difference. And we only have that when we're close to Jesus. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Help us to put you, dear Jesus, above all else. Lord, I'm so um, personally convicted by that, and I pray that uh, we would all be convicted as is appropriate as you would have us to be by your Holy Spirit. Give us the streak, strength to go to the, the throne of grace to find that mercy and help in our time of need. Jesus, we're so thankful that you can sympathize with us because you withstood these temptations and you did so in such a way uh, that we can learn from and grow from. We are thankful that you ultimately, dear Jesus, are the bread of life. That you hold us, that you sustain us, that you are everything to us. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Give us the strength and power to say no to temptation and first and foremost to say no to that temptation of putting other things ahead of you. Lord, your scripture says that you know, you, you're the one who can guide us on the path and your word guides us and you are the word, dear Jesus. And we ask that you would help us not to stray so many good things you've given to us, God. Help us to hold them appropriately. Father, you are so good, and in you there is no turning, no shadow of lights.
And so all that you've given us in your Son, in your Word, in family, in church family, in, in work, in food, and all these things, help us to never hold all the things that you've given us and all the opportunities that you give us. Help us to never hold any of these things as higher than you, dear Jesus. May you be our ultimate. In your name, Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen.